That's improv, bitch. Improv, bitch. I mean, after all, you're nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Hello, everyone. This is Jimmy Corain, host of Improv Nerd, and uh, thanks for joining us for this special bonus episode as we interview Curb Your Enthusiasm's Jeff Garland. I've known Jeff since about 1986. Uh, We were both in our 20s, and he was coming from Florida where he was doing stand-up to take classes at the Second City. Uh, I've always appreciated Jeff's honesty. I've loved his comedy, and we talked about a lot of things, like how he uses improv in his stand-up act, his insecurities about his place in Hollywood and why he thinks Curb Your Enthusiasm works as an improvised show. Now, for this interview, we met Jeff backstage at the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago 90 minutes before he was going on stage to do a stand-up show called Closer Than I Appear. We are here at the Steppenwolf Theater uh, in Chicago, and uh, it is the opening night of your show. Uh, closer than I appear. Mm-hmm. We are about an hour and a half away. Yeah. Okay. And I guess I'm I'm amazed because they said you can meet Jeff at six thirty, which is an hour and a half away. Yes. Why would you meet me an hour and a half before well, your first night? Well, a couple things. Number okay. one, you, you, you they're spending time with you is pleasurable <laughs> and not remotely stressful to me. Do you know what I mean? I have uh-huh. a great comfort level with you. Um, and so, from that standpoint, it only gets my mind started by having a conversation with you. So, considering that my show is improvised for the most part, as well as, you know, different notes that I've written down, you know, there's not a set beginning, middle, and end. So, I have no idea what tonight holds, and I'll be better because I've talked with you. That's what, my opinion. Okay. So, what emotions do you feel right now before you go on? Right now, I feel sad because I miss my family, mm-hmm. even though I've been gone for a few days. Um, other than that, I feel um, lucky. Is that an emotion, lucky? I, I don't. I, yeah. It's like hunger. I don't think mm-hmm. it's an emotion. Yeah. But you don't get nervous at all? No, that's one thing I'm not. Zero on the nervous chart. Are you Is that something recently, or it's, it's always been... Except for a well, no, I shouldn't say it's always been. When I was a young comedian, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I'd say the first year I would get nervous before I went up. And then after that, I would get nervous before big shows for a number of years. And then I went through a period of um, um, about six years in, seven years in of stage fright, like paralyzing stage fright. If there were five people in the audience, I'd still go and throw up before I went on stage. That I, that lasted a few months, and the only way to get through that was to keep working. That was the only, That's the secret to stage fright. You just got to keep plowing ahead. So, and then, but since then, I'm no, no fear. So uh, after we're done with this interview, mm-hmm. what are you going to do between the hour uh, before the show? I'm going to play with my recorders, uh-huh. these d- different digital recorders. I got a new you still recorder. love technical stuff, right? I love technical stuff. Um, I love recorders, love computers, very much into cameras. But I shoot film mostly, which is ironic, considering that I love technical things. I, I shoot a rangefinder, uh, like a camera. Um, 
I'll get dressed in what I'm going to wear. You which know. is, what do you got? Which is a, just a jacket, a pair of pants, gym shoes, t-shirt. But it's a specific, you know, look. Yeah. I'm doing that. And that's it? Yeah, I might talk to people back here who work with me and um, I might meditate. Yeah, I think I'm going to meditate. And how do you manage to just I do transcendental meditation. TM. TM. I do TM twice a day, 20 minutes. I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And so I'll probably, I will meditate, actually, yeah. And then um, in terms of, we don't know what you're going to say on stage tonight. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so um, do you have a couple stories in your back pocket? or how No, do you do nothing this? in my back pocket. I have one routine um, that I did last time I was here that I've done for years. I did on my last special. It just makes me laugh. It's about uh, the old man and creams and lotions. I don't know if you know what I'm talking no, about. No, I don't. And Waffle House. Um, yeah, so I have that story. I might tell, I might not tell. You know, I'm doing, every show is going to be about an hour and 15 minutes. So if I run out of time, I run out of time. I don't know. I have no agenda, really. And you, you, you've always, well, I wouldn't say you've always worked improvisationally. I mean. No, no, I, I've worked improvisationally since my time in Chicago. Right. But Prior I, to I, Chicago, no. Okay, so, because you give Second City a ton of credit. And I knew you back in the 80s when you had come here. Yes, and you, we, we know each other since 1986, I believe. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Uh, so how did your act change from coming from Florida? Uh, you came right. here about 20, you were 22, as I remember. Uh, when I came here, 22, 23 years old, yeah. Uh -huh. And then how did your act change? How did that experience at Second City, performing at Second City, taking classes at Second mm -hmm. City, how did it change your, your approach Well, eventually to I decided to, you know, when I first came here, I was young, inexperienced, did well in front of stand-up crowds, but I was a bit hackneyed. And then through Second City, I thought I'm going to improvise from an outline. That's really what it ultimately came to. I'm going to improvise from an outline. And I and I also credit um, Del Close and the Herald, just the form of the Herald. I, I've done that, which I've done this with you before, which is the combo platter thing with other performers improvising monologues. And I did shows at the Annoyance Theater, which ra ranged from really being improvised off nothing, and then also there were shows that I did where I had a, I think it was a batting helmet, if I'm not mistaken, in the box office, like when they bought their tickets, and they were given a piece of paper and a pencil, and to write down any topic they wanted me, and I would just pick from the helmet during the show. Yeah, I remember doing that. But but that is, that's different than improvising with a person, you know, like doing right, a team or right, something right. like that. So how... How, and, and so when you improvise with a person, you're working off the person. Right. When you go up there and you do it as stand-up, who are you working off of? The audience. The audience. It's, um, I like having a dialogue with the audience. And I also break down. There aren't many walls. I like the intimacy. And it kind of feels, even though I'm performing it because I've asked people, um, like I'm in their living room. Or at, or at a dinner party with them. It has that kind of vibe. And I will talk to people, not to make them look foolish, although if they do on their own, that's their business. If they try and be funny or they do something strange, that's their business. Um, and I'll talk about it. But I don't 
go with any intent of making an audience look bad. So give me an example of how you would improvise off an audience member. An example? Yeah. I don't even know. Well, let's say there's somebody... You, you're it's, so, it's so organic for me that I don't even know the process. I just go up and it starts. I don't really have... Like I had something happen to me today with a young guy on the street on Michigan Avenue who was trying to get signatures for gay rights. Mm -hmm. And sweet kid, um, not very good at his job. And I will, I might open with talking about that, what happened with me and the kid. And that may lead to me asking someone in the audience something, which will lead to something else and lead to something else. The other night I was performing in San Diego, and one of the shows I truly, I would say, I mean, no exaggeration, 95% of it was completely and utterly improvised. Maybe 5%. When the, and the 5%, by the way, when I say it wasn't improvised, it was just stuff that I've said before that occurred to me in the moment. But it wasn't something that was planned. So the whole set was unplanned. 95% of it was improvised. And I really have to, have to listen to uh, that file because there's a lot of new stuff on there, I know. Now, stand-up can be so precise, you know, and it's a craft. It is precise. So what is it that you get out of going up there and improvising a stand-up act? Joy. That's it. Because to be frank, I'd be a lot better off if I had an hour act. Because it's just, you know, on the nights, two things. On the nights where it doesn't work, and even on the nights where it works, unless it's magical, I think sometimes, wow, that was really difficult. That was really, really difficult. As a matter of fact, Saturday night, the first show in San Diego was difficult. Not bad, good. What made it difficult? Just, I, it, it felt like work. That's what I consider difficult. And, and, and then it ranges from difficult to horrible, where that's where there's lots of hecklers, drunk people. Drunk people are generally part of the equation when I'm in a club, and I was in a club. I did four shows in a club. But I remember sitting backstage and not wanting to do the second show. And then I went out and did the second show, and it was kind of magical. It caught me by surprise. You know, they were so good that it blew my mind. The other thing that I, I, I that you inspire me with your work is you're so honest and you're so revealing. Um, how is your stage persona different from Jeff it's Garland? It's not different at all. There's no difference between my stage persona. My stage persona is me as an extrovert. That's what. My so you're saying that you're an introvert in real life? Quite often, I don't feel the need to be on, but I'm. You know, although I'll be very gregarious when I'm out and I see people, I say hello, I'm jolly per se. Right. Um, but um, no, I, I'm, uh, I, I can be very much an introvert. So myself on stage is not a persona, it's me as an extrovert. But you reveal stuff on stage. Would you reveal that stuff in your real life? To intimate, intimate friends, not to anybody. Like, I wouldn't sit and have a conversation and reveal stuff that I would even reveal to an audience, like just sitting there, because it's just not how, I'm, how I do it. 
I mean, so there are some things that you want. Well, when my mother said that she learns everything she learns about me from watching me on stage. So, do you think there's? I mean, do you think it's one hundred percent true? So, I know what I reveal to my mother, what I don't reveal to my mother, and so she'll get information from my shows, or people will see my shows and call my mother. Why is it that you don't reveal stuff to your mom? Um. It's the same that I don't reveal that much. I mean, I reveal much more to my wife. But they're in a position where they're locked in and there's judgment. You know, if I tell a friend, it's, you know, there's not going to be judgment. There's just going to be, let's discuss this. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on. If I tell my mother, she will harp on it and ask me questions about it in the future. And if I tell my wife there's going to be a positive or a negative reaction. And part of me is like, well, you have to deal with the negative. And another part of me is a lot of times I have great regret with revealing certain things, so I don't reveal as much. By the way, that doesn't mean my wife and I aren't intimate and extremely close, obviously, but there's certain things where I'm like, that's better with a friend. But there was a wonderful uh, interview with you and your mom here at uh, uh, Phil Ponce did. Yeah, Phil Ponce. And you yeah. and you said <clears throat> with your mother that your mother was always supportive. She's never curb your enthusiasm. She's a very she doesn't say anything. She my comedic career has been nothing but supportive. Yeah. And I'm wondering because knowing you for a long time, mm-hmm. is that you've always been driven. You've always had confidence. The thing that I've always respected about you, you know what you want. You right. Know, even in even back in the eighties, this will work. This won't work. Right. Did that confidence come from your mom? God no. Really? God no. No. Where no, did no. that come from? My mom taught me a clerk is a jerk. Like what did always, you... like don't give up is my mom's thing, and my dad's thing was don't believe the hype. Now, by the way, the don't give up and don't believe the hype. My parents never said that to me. That was with their actions. Don't believe the hype and and don't give up. Don't take no for an answer. That was my, like my drive, my mother instilled in me, um, but not the other things. Um, yeah, the confidence, I don't know. So you don't know where that came from? No. Do you think that's been a, a blessing and a curse at the same time? No, only a blessing. In what way? Because, you know, confidence is key to becoming uh, successful. The only way you become successful and you're not confident is if you um, overcompensate and probably are a jerk. You know, you can be mean to people and overcome your lack of confidence. That's what, you know, people who are insecure do. Not that I'm not insecure. What are you insecure about? I think I'm insecure about show business more than anything, despite my confidence. I have confidence in myself, but there are times where... You know, I, I'm friends with everybody in Hollywood, yeah. especially in the comedy world. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll go to an opening or something and I'll feel insecure. I really feel, will feel, will feel that. Even though I make my own movies and I do my own thing. That sort of, can. it just, Hollywood does that to you. But ultimately it hasn't beaten me and I don't feel overall lack of confidence you know i have plenty of confidence i'm only and also what's ironic is all those not all those people but many of those people come to me for confidence and for my advice um but yet then they don't use me which is really funny and i don't want to say names but it's really 
Well, it's kind of bizarre. What, what do you mean? They'll come to you and ask for... They'll, they'll ask me real important questions about their career. They'll wa want notes on certain projects and different things. And these are really famous people. And then you turn around and it's like, oh, but you've never hired me for anything. Or you've never said, let's do this. So, But I have two of friends that are immensely successful that have done that. So it's not like, but you know what I avoid at all costs? is bitterness. Like even these people that call me that I'm friends with, I love them. They're dear friends. So professionally, they're not as accommodating as I would like. Love them as friends. The one thing that kills a career in my business is bitterness. More than insecurity, bitterness. And so if you start thinking, they owe me this, because nobody owes me anything. Nobody owes me a goddamn thing. So... I'm, I'm good with everything. How have you not become bitter? I mean, you have a great career, but I'm Well, sure I'm happy with my career, and I think I'm lucky, but it's ironic that my career is nowhere near the heights that I anticipated it being or wanted it to be. I'm comfortable with everything, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm not as successful. Where, where did you think you should be? No, the don't, don't there should. Okay. Um, could. There is no should. It's like when you, like when you win an award... Like when you're up for an award, people say, oh, you, you, you know, like if a person says, we should have won. No, I was nominated. We could have won. So I could have been, I think, a bigger comedy star. What, what, what do you think got in the way? I do a lot of different things. I'm an improviser. Therefore, you know, um, early on in my career especially, I failed a lot. You know, I think anybody has to fail to a degree. I failed more than others. I've always been respected by my peers, but I just don't think that, um, I don't know. I don't want to second guess my career. You know, I'm good with everything. Um, but, you know, I know I could have been bigger than I am. I will not say should. Okay. Should get you bitter. <laughs> I'm there. Avoid, I'm... By the way, I think that's the key to avoiding bitterness, avoiding the word should when it comes to career things. You talk very openly in your book. I can relate to this because I'm a food addict. Do you think your food addiction got in your way? Most definitely. Uh -huh. Because it affected me health-wise. It affected my body. So I couldn't do physically some of the things that would have helped me. You know, I didn't get to play any romantically. I mean, I did in my own movie that I wrote. But the woman burned me, and I want someone to eat cheese with. Um, there, I'm married in my newest movie, um, and there is really no... I mean, you know, that's an accomplishment, but right. I'm married in real life, <laughs> you know, and I have my, my wife. But yes, it has gotten in the way, my my eating and my health, yeah. Um, and curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. They push a ton of boundaries in terms of... Yes, I guess, but I'm never paying attention to that. What are you thinking? What's for lunch? Seriously? Ironically with the food or thinking about something my wife said, thinking about my kids, thinking about how beautiful the day is. I'm almost, you know, and I'll be in the scene if I really, but a lot of times I'm in the scene, I'm thinking about other things. I don't get, because what do people do when they're with one another? They think about lots of different things. So I'm not just thinking of the next thing I have so, to do. Okay, so I've got a whole... I'm a full person when I'm doing curb, um, and when I'm when I'm doing scripted material, the only way I'm any good is if I know the lines so well that I can really go off in my mind and be someplace else. Are you somewhere else right now in this interview? No, you can't do an interview and and uh, 
you know, uh, um, no, nothing has popped into my head, you know. I'll probably, the only thing I've thought of is looking at my apples over there on the counter. I keep apples and right. bananas and tea, is that I'll get some tea and then I have an apple uh, before the show. Because I came in and thought these were fake. Doesn't this one they look, look fake? They look, they're beautiful. But, but they yeah. are, they're beautiful. Organic, but what happens? Uh, Fuji apples. Yeah. What happens when people come up to you and say, oh, that show of Curb Your Enthusiasm, let kids come up to you and say, hey, you know what, that that, I, that show was too much, or... Kids come up to me and say that? I don't, do say? kids do kids watch the show? No, kid, kids come up to me, young kids, because they watch Wizards of Waverly Place, or they've seen Daddy Daycare, whereas, um, you know, college kids and older... Um, have seen Curb. So I have two. And also I did a lot of the Pixar movies, you know, mm -hmm. so I have a lot. And that, that runs across all boundaries. Is there any shame when people say... I, about daddy Daycare? Not Daddy... Da yes, there is shame <laughs> in Daddy Daycare. <laughs> What's the going, shame about? Or Wizards Away. It's not very good work. Uh -huh. you know, it's fun, simple, you know, but it's not like, you know, I learned. And, you know, I got to work with Eddie Murphy, which was a hoot, and Wizards of Waverly. I mean, those. I mean, my friend who was the writer of it for a long time. I mean, he brought it to a higher level than most Disney shows, but still, mm -hmm. it's all not. It's not very good work. It's just silly, you know, stupid. Not that Pee Wee Herman. See, Pee Wee Herman, which is silly, is brilliant work. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm not saying silly's not worthy. I'm just saying, you know, I just like I watched the campaign recently. I laughed the whole movie. You know, Zach Galifianakis kills me, and he's got a great silliness to him. Same with Will Ferrell, you know. Um, so silliness is hard, and there is work. But, um, you know, just I, I'm all about uh, the writing. I'm as good as an actor. I'm as good as the writing I'm given. Well, what about in something where Curb and there is no writing? No, there is writing. Larry David writes an outline. So all the scenes that we do are very structured. Point A to point B to point C to point D. Those all happen. How we get to those points, it's improvising with an outline. And my dialogue is not set. So, but Larry David sets, you know, the stage for greatness to happen. And when I read the outlines, I laugh out loud throughout the outline. Makes it easy. So he hear. basically says, okay, Jeff, this is what I want. This is, he has the outline. In no, he, I read the outline. You read the outline. Yeah. And then he goes, this is what I want you to do in this scene with no. me? No. Okay. I just read the outline. No one says anything to me. To you, but how about to other actors? Um, we don't usually let the other actors see the outline, so yeah, we have to tell them what they're doing and what's what's going on in the scene, and we don't rehearse. Okay, is an improviser, you know, yes, yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. Sometimes I'll hear from from improv people, oh, if they would agree more on the show, mm -hmm. it might go to different places. What do you? How do you respond to that? I'm the only person who consistently agrees, but as much as on that, because okay. I know that and. My whole thing is I'm, I'm only as good as you let me be, you know, going back and forth. I try and make you look good. You try and make me look good. But it's already an outline. It's already written. So we know what has to happen in the scene. So there's adventures. New things happen. And we take risks. But it's not a classic, you know, give us a suggestion. We'll do a scene where you really need to explore and heighten. It's there's an outline. The scene's already the idea of the scene's there. We can't let it really go to other places. It has to go where it's written on the paper. The, one of the reasons I think the show is a success, and I, I just want to get your feedback on this. Okay. Is 
Larry David understands structure, and, yeah. a, and a lot of people that try to improvise TV shows fail because of that. Do you think there's truth to that? I don't think there's truth to that. I think there's 100% truth. There's nothing but truth to that. That is all truth. That's the reason the other improvised shows don't work, is because they don't have Larry David writing the outlines. You have to have a brilliant guy writing the outlines, or a brilliant woman, someone brilliant writing the outlines, and you need the structure in order to improvise. And so many people think, well, just go from here and see what happens. And they're wrong. Um, we got to end this, Jeff. Thank you so much. Before sure. Is- By the way, I just did a movie that was improvised in the staff curb called uh, Dealing with Idiots that comes out in the spring. And on that movie, I let nobody see the script. Nobody saw the script. And you so, directed that. Yeah, I directed that and I starred in that. A lot of Bob Odenkirk's in it. And uh-huh. A lot of people you know. Yeah, so. Um, let me ask you this. One more Fred question. Willard, before. It's funny. Yeah, uh, one. Is Curb going to come back for another? I hope so. I think so, but I don't know so. How is the process? You'll get a call a month before you shoot? No, 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 no. I'll get a call from him saying he's going to go in and start writing the episodes. Um, and then once he gives me that call, it looks good, and I'd say it's 80%. Up from now, I'd say like 60%. Um, and then once he's written about five of the ten episodes, I put it at about 100%. All right. So it's a process. Jeff Garland, thank you so much for being our Jim guest. Jim Carrang, my pleasure to be your guest. <laughs> In I would like to thank our guest today, Jeff Garland, and uh, his stand-up show, Closer Than I Appear, runs through December 16th at the Steppenwolf Theater here in Chicago. If you want to get tickets, go to steppenwolf.org. And as always, I want to thank my producer, Ben Caprero. Even though he hasn't gotten much sleep in the last days, he made sure we got this uh, episode out to you as soon as possible. And for more information about Improv Nerd and my award-winning improv classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and my improv blog, and this week I have a wonderful article about 10 offstage tips you can do to become a better improviser, go to jimmycarain.com. Now, if you like today's show, go to the Improv Nerd Facebook page and like it. It helps with our self-esteem. And as always, thank you for listening. Uh, We really appreciate your support. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. say uh seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing boris karloff what would it what would that be like <laughs> it might go something like this oh mr karloff i loved you and frankenstein and i love giving you a blow jump why mr seinfeld i'd love having you fuck